Thanks for coming. Thanks for being here. I know there's lots of places you could be. I appreciate you being here. Because you're a son or a daughter of a living God. Isn't that great status? Isn't that great status? I know you come and I get to do the speaking, but I want to tell you, my heart is warm each evening when I hear you sing. You're not just letting the musicians perform. You're participating. You're engaged. And, uh, it just it warms my heart. In another life, I was a choir director. <laughs> so it's just really good to hear you sing. I think as a kid, I wanted to grow up to be a black gospel singer. It never happened. Some challenges along the way. But on occasion, in my home shower, I can still belt out a little black gospel music. Good for the soul. Sometimes I feel... Okay, we'll take that. When was the last time you felt fully alive? Did you have to think about it a little bit? When was the last time? I mean, it something just welled up inside of you, and you said, man, this is really living. Watching the TV one night, the news guy said, now, stay on for our closing segment. You're not going to believe it. And sure enough, the closing segment, I couldn't believe it. Here at the graveyard, was a huge heister machine that had lifted this man ready to be buried. And his dying wish was to be buried in his Cadillac. And he was propped up behind the wheel with his hands on the steering wheel as this heister lifted him up and lowered this whole Cadillac as his casket down into the ground. And the newscaster ended it by saying, man, that's really living. Are you kidding me? I screamed back at the TV, man, that's really dying. This guy had to be buried in his car. That was his dying way. That's not living. That's what? That's dying. When was the last time you felt fully alive? Every once in a while, some well-meaning person will ask me, Pastor Ken, what, what's the greatest problem with kids today in the church? It must be their music. No, I don't think so. Well, um, certainly, probably it's drugs. You know, they're just taking drugs all the time. Like, oh, I don't think that's it. Well, maybe it, you know, they're, they don't communicate, but they're just tied into social media and their phones and doing this all the time. No, I don't think that's it. Well, maybe it's just because they've, they've checked out and, and they don't care anymore. And I said, no, maybe you're getting a little closer. Oh, so what do you think it is? You know what I think it is? I think young people are bored. 
I think church, the spiritual things, the religious lifestyle is boring because I think we've got too many people who believe on Jesus Christ, but they don't show it. They've got a head knowledge, but their hearts are dull, checked out, lifeless, and boring. Too many Christians say they believe in Jesus, but they don't live lives of awe and wonder. They've lost that sense of excitement. Jesus says in John 10.10 that the thief, the devil, comes to steal and kill and destroy. And we just kind of sit back and let him do it. Jesus says, but I'm just the opposite. I have come that they might have what? That they might have life and have it more abundantly, beyond description. We've lost a sense of awe and wonderment of what it means to be a Christian and have the love of Jesus Christ in our hearts. And I probably miss opportunities too, as, as you do as well. But what kind of example are we showing to the world? I get on this plane. The plane's over an hour late. The air conditioning's not working on the plane. People are mad and they're upset. And I don't even remember where I was going. I think I was headed to Washington, D.C. And as soon as I got into the plane, oh, it was just stifling. And two of the stewardesses, I could hear them going back and forth. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? As I got back down a little closer, here is a man in the middle of the aisle, and he is cursing. This blankety-blank airline. Why can this blankety-blank air conditioning? I can't get my suitcase in this overhead. Boom, boom. And then you can tell people all around him are just really tense. And I'm looking at my seat, and I'm thinking, man, I'm going to have to be sitting right next to this guy probably. And I get down there close, and he kind of elbows me, and he's moving around, he's shoving, and he's let out a just a God-laced curse statement. And I said, Mister, <laughs> that's not acceptable. So I got real quiet. Nobody had challenged him. And stewardess is back behind him. She's going, What do you mean it's not acceptable? This blankety blank airline's treating me like, and I have a fly, and I'm a frequent flyer, blankety blank. And I said, Mister, your language is not acceptable on this plane. Oh, yeah? What do you do? <laughs> I'm a preacher. Oh. He grabs his mouth all around us. Everybody broke into applause. <laughs> my wife, I get home, tell my wife that story. She says, Why do you do those things? Why do you say that stuff? I said, you know what? This is kind of fun. And sometimes I just say stuff and do stuff. I said, but you know what? Somebody needed to say something. Not, not let alone for everybody else. I said, but you know what? He wasn't respecting God. I didn't like it, so I said something. And it was fun. Stewardesses thanked me on the way out. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Would you like to work for the airline? We've lost a sense of a wonder. Jesus says, I've come to give them life. Give it beyond their wild imagination. I used to think, man, I need a, an airplane story. Every, everybody that came to college 
on Friday night, always had an airplane story that they tell, how, how they witnessed or how they sat next to somebody famous and shared a Bible verse or, or shared it. I never get anybody famous. I get on a plane, I sit next to somebody, and they pull out that air sickness bag and kind of hold it like that. Oh, boy. This is going to be a fun one. So I got to leave Tennessee to go to California to preach and to do a wedding. Last flight of the day. My flight is late. Luggage is all on. plane scheduled after us takes off, going to the same place. I can't get on. It's full. My plane goes. I'm talking to the guy. So what am I going to do? i got to get there. She said, I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll pull your bag off, okay, and you carry it with you and take it. You'll have to check it through, but you carry it with you, and then when you get to, I think it was Minneapolis, when you get to Minneapolis, t take it on with you, and, and it'll, it'll carry with you because it probably won't be time to transfer. It looks like probably not going to make that flight anyway, but this will increase our odds. I said, okay. Finally, we take off. I get to Minneapolis. It's gate A-10. Look up at the monitor. Here's the monitor going to San Francisco. It says it hasn't departed. There's no time on it. It's just flashing. I'm thinking, okay, maybe I'll make it. So I did my, this is an old story probably, or at least an old commercial, the O.J. Simpson. You ever see him run through the airport with his suitcases at hand. I think I'm going to do this. I got my bags, but I've got to go to E14 all the way through this whole huge airport. There's no carts. There's nobody around me. I'm down at this. I'm just running and running. A, B, C, D, E, F. I get to E. One, two, three. E14. I come around the corner and I can see that the plane is still there an hour and a half after it was supposed to take off. I just screamed. There's one lady at the desk, nobody in the lobby. I said, hold the plane. She looked up and smiled, and she hollers back, you must be Kenny Rogers. <laughs> like I haven't heard that before. And then she goes, you got to know when to hold them. No, when to, I said, just hold the plane. I've got to be on that plane. She said, well, just a minute. She starts typing down here and doing something. And I said, what's the deal? I said, how come the plane's still here? And she said, well, we went ahead and announced to everybody that we were waiting for just one more passenger. I said, great. And now I'm going to walk on this plane an hour and a half late and watch everybody. Thanks. She said, just kidding. We have mechanical problems. Well, why do I want to get on that plane if it's having mechanical problems? Oh, they're fixing it. Let's see here. She prints out my boarding pass and hands it to me. She says, here, we have one seat left in first class. Have a good trip, Mr. Rogers. Give it the fine time to leave me with the other. Okay. First class. I hadn't been in the first I didn't even know they made seats that would fit me in an airplane. Man, I got up in there, and folks, she told a lie. There were two seats. The one next to me was vacant. I got next to the window. I said, oh. <sighs> pulled the 
pulled out my headphones, clipped in. I said, this is going to be good. I can relax and fly. didn't seem like we were up quite the cruising altitude yet. I'm starting that pre-doze, and next to me, un- there's a commotion under the, under the seat. Kind of startled me, and I look over, and the flight attendant is fumbling with something under the seat. And I pull my phones out and say, can I help you? Oh, oh, would you, could you, please, would you help me? Can you help me? I said, yeah, what, what's, what's the challenge? She says, there's a wheelchair under this seat. I said, a wheelchair? She says, yeah. She says, I have a passenger that needs to, to use the, the restroom and the wheelchair. And I look around, and sure enough, a guy across the aisle, he waves at me. Yeah, well, let me help you. So we pulled this wheel. There's a wooden framed wheelchair under that first seat in first class pulled it out, kind of put it together, and it's real narrow and real skinny because it got to go down the aisle. So I got up and went over and introduced myself to this guy. Hey, I'm Ken. I'm Bob. Bob, how how you doing? He said, well, I'm doing good. He says, and I said, well, what happened? He said, well, I'm, I'm paralyzed, but I got to go to the bathroom. Oh, yeah, right. Hey, look. She's wringing her hands. We push the wheelchair over there, and here, sorry, you won't sit here again, I know. <laughs> So he put his arms out, and I scoop him up like, like under his arms. And folks, I'm telling you, he's paralyzed from just dead weight, nothing. So I scoop him up, and we're like this, and got him out in the aisle, and got him in that chair. She's behind there trying to push, and I don't know how she passed anything to be a flight attendant, but she's too frail almost to push that thing. So I kind of pull it up there. I said, Bob, how are we going to do this? <laughs> I can't get in this bathroom by myself. He says, well, I've done it before. He says, we'll just do everything we did and kind of reverse it. So scoop me up out of the chair, and if you'll just set me, set me in there. He says, I'll be, I'll be okay, and I'll knock on the door when, when I need to, to get out. Can you do that? Can you help me? I said, yes. So I scooped him up. Somehow got him in there, got the door closed. Knocked back on the door. We reversed it, came back out, got this thing in the chair a little bit, did a little dance in the in the aisleways, sat him in the chair, got him back, picked him up out of the chair, got him back in his seat. Bob, what's the story? Oh, he says, there's a story. He says, man, I am. He says, as you know, he says, I got, I've got nothing. Says, Just about my chest on my arms work a little bit. He says, the rest of me just gone. He says, what? Been this way for a while? No. He said, a year ago. with my bride. We were on a motorcycle coming down highway, down the coast, Pacific Coast Highway. We came around a curve that a large truck had crossed over the line and said, hit us head on. Killed my bride and has left me paralyzed. Bob, I'm so, so sorry to hear that. So sad. He says, well, it's been a year. He says, I'm coming back, and a buddy's going to take me in a car up the coast so I can make that trip in memory of my wife. 
What do you do, Ken? College chaplain. You're a captain? You're a captain? No, chaplain. Chaplain. A pastor. I work in the school. I'm a pastor. Oh, oh, okay, okay. Oh, yeah, what are you, what are you doing? You going to California? I said, no. I'm going out to do a wedding. Oh, that's cool. He just kind of lit up. That'll be great. I'm glad you're doing that. I said, good. He leaned down and says, thanks for helping me. Say, if you need to go again, call me. Okay, come back. Anything else I can get for you? No, good. Folded the chair back up, put it under there. I crawled back into my seat, ready to do what? Put the headphones on. Just about gone again. There's a tug on my sleeve. Oh, well, maybe Bob needs to go again. I don't. Here she is. She's smiling. She says, thank you. Thank you. I don't know what I would have done. I said, well, I don't know what you would have done either. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. She pulled her apron part of her uniform open. Pulled out M&M crackers, cookies, little special packets, and she began to give me these things. Just pouring. I'm going to tell you, folks, I'm not exaggerating. There were 20 packets of things in there. I have got a, a pack full of, of, of goodies just on my head. That's, that's good. That's, that's enough. That'll get me to California. And she says, oh, thank you, thank you. I don't know what I would do. And that's so good. Thank you, thank you. I said, no, no problem. If you need more help, let me know. Oh, I will, I will, I will. I've never had a captain, chaplain on, on my plane. She wouldn't let me rest. I'm about out again. Pulls on my sleeve. I said, I, I can't eat anymore. No, no more. She says, oh, no. She pulled it open. A Delta pen. Delta flight vouchers. A, a Delta thing to put on my jacket. She's got all this stuff from the airline. Extra mile coupons and all that. I said, this is wonderful, but I don't need all this. And she says, oh, I'm going to give you everything I can find. I said, no, please. I, I really don't need anymore. That's, that's enough. I was happy, happy to help. She says, well, okay, I'll, I'll leave you alone. Airplane flies. I look over at Bob. Bob waves. <laughs> okay, we land. I gotta bring the let's land this story, right? Okay, we're we're pulling down in. Bob, let me stay and help you help you exit the plane here. He says, no, Ken, go on. You go ahead. I know you. I know you're late. The flight was late. I know you got to get going. Listen, I'll be okay. I'll be the last one out, and they'll send some people to help me and get me in the chair, and it'll all work out. I said, shit. Oh no. They'll bring extra help. Done this before. Got my stuff. I'm walking out. I've got stuff in my pockets. Candy bars, coupons, and everything. I'm, I'm just loaded. Said goodbye to this flight attendant. Walking down the, was it a gangplank or whatever it's called there? The breezeway. There's a tug on the back of my jacket. And she's stalking. And I turn around, and it's a businessman that was up in first class. Say, hey, mister, we were watching what you did. And while you were up there in the bathroom, we were all talking. None of us would have done that. I thought, it wasn't that big a deal. 
I'm, I was happy to help. Oh, she goes, oh, no. We're glad you were there. She could have never done it. Yeah, I know. I said, I, I just kind of said, happy to help. And listen, we're on the breezeway there. People are just coming by us. Listen, what do you do? I said, well, I used to be a captain. <coughs> but really, I'm, I'm a pastor. I work on a college campus, and I work with kids. He said, so you're a Christian? I said, yeah. His words. It must be fun to be a Christian. I said, you know what? And it's rewarding, too. Look at all the stuff. <laughs> he said, no, that was, that was cool. Thanks, thanks for what you did. And we parted ways. I was baptizing. We didn't become a Seventh-day Adventist Christian. But what happened? Jesus said, I've come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Mark chapter 2 records a wonderful story about a paralyzed man. A paralyzed man that wanted to be healed. Man, if anything, I'd have loved to give Bob life, watch his limbs work again. Couldn't do that. I know a God that will one day. All things will be made new. Mark chapter 2. Paralyzed guy who lives on a map dependent upon his friends. Can you imagine trying to get to the restroom? To eat, to move, to have shelter and protection. His life was on a mat. But he's got four friends. Four great friends. And they hear that Jesus has come to and Jesus, in fact, went to somebody's house. And the Bible says that when Jesus was there and the, the word spread, people just thronged out to where he was. You know what? When Jesus shows up, people will show up. When Jesus is at a place, then you can count on there being people there. No empty churches when Jesus is there. So his four friends get him. They pick up the four corners of the mat and they go to the house. And when they get to the house, what do they find? We can't even get in close. Man, the paralyzed guy, can you imagine him thinking, I have waited and waited and waited for Jesus to come, come to town. Now I can't even get close enough to see him. We can't even hear him. There's too many people here. And this is what I like about good friends. They find ways to make stuff happen. They didn't turn around and go back home and say it's useless. They didn't give up. Your generation is not going to do that either. You lift one another up. You do whatever it takes. If you've got some friends engaged in risky behavior, don't let them do it alone. I don't, I'm not telling you to join them. I'm telling you to say something. Don't, don't let them get in trouble by themselves. Say something. Warn them. Tell them about the consequences. What are we going to do? I don't know the age of these guys. I just think they're young people. 
Bible doesn't say, so I can use some imagination. I think maybe if I can stretch it a little bit, they might have been the outcasts of the town. Maybe they had long hair. Maybe it was dyed certain colors. Maybe it was braided long. Maybe they had beards. Maybe they wore tie-dyed robes. I don't know. But I'll tell you this much. They knew that Jesus could do for their friend what they couldn't do. So as they saw the crowd in front of them, they got resourceful. And they went up on the roof of this guy's house. My wife has the gift of hospitality. She's better than I am at meeting people. She remembers names better. She can go into a crowd room and make friends just like that. I'm, I'm a little reserved. She can just go. We love having people over. But sometimes I'm a little cautious, like, oh, don't let the kids over by my stuff, right? And if I know somebody's kind of, I move stuff up so it's out of their out of their reach, and make sure if I've got something really special to me, I kind of put it away. I don't, if there's too many people in the house, I'm uncomfortable. I'd have probably been a little uncomfortable if Jesus was at my house and it's so full that people are just everywhere. But I know I'd have been really upset if my roof starts coming undone. Hmm? This is real damage. The guys got their, their, how many? Five of them up on my roof. And they start taking the roof apart. Folks, they're not removing little nice shingles and squares. This is straw and hay and mud and animal dung that's been baked in the hot sun. Right? And how do you think that stuff comes apart? In nice little neat pieces like bricks? Uh-uh. It's coming apart. It's going apart. And it goes apart long, big enough so that these guys can let their friend down on a mat through the hole in the roof. And I love what Jesus says. <laughs> can you imagine if he looked up and maybe some of that got in his eyes? And he had to move away. And now everybody's watching. I don't know where the homeowner is, but if I'm the homeowner, I'm not doing real well right now. Good night. Who's going to cover that? Oh, I have insurance. <laughs> and they let him down. The Bible doesn't say that he asked for anything. Jesus looked up. It says he saw... He saw their faith. Whoa. What a statement. Jesus saw their faith. They didn't say anything. They say, we believe, we believe. He saw their faith. Man, if these guys believe that I can do something for their friend on this mat, this paralyzed man, and they've gone all the way around up through the roof, they'll do whatever it takes. down through the roof, and now this man on a mat is before Jesus. It wouldn't it have been fun to be in that house or around? Can you imagine everybody looking and watching? And the, oh. and the Pharisees were there too because they were always on the outside watching what Jesus was doing. Right. Okay. 
Jesus says one of the greatest lines in all of Scripture. Words I can't wait to hear. Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Was it sin that caused this man to be paralyzed? That was kind of a common thought. If it wasn't his sins, it was probably the sins of his parents. Yeah, because it transferred on. Maybe he just had a physical ailment, folks. Maybe there'd been an accident. I don't know. But the common was, your sins are forgiven. Oh, mercy, you talk about a lightning bolt to the Pharisees. What? He can't say that. Blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Mark says, and Jesus knew what they were thinking. So he said to them, hey, what's easier? For somebody to say your sins are forgiven? Or get up, paralyzed man, off that mat and walk? Hmm, that's a good question. Probably easier to say your sins, because if you say get up and walk, he hasn't walked, he's paralyzed. Jesus says, well, let me tell you something. I'm going to show you the power of God. Not on myself, but I'm going to show you the power of God. So he turned to the man on the mat. He said, go, stand up. Sit up, stand up, and walk out of here. Now the blood flowed through this man's limbs. Matt walked through the crowd. You think they just made a path for him? Look, look what he did. Look what he did. Look what Jesus did. Look what Jesus did. Because he what? Saw their faith. Not only the man on the mat's faith, but the four friends that let him down. And I think they're up there watching all this taking place going, I told you Jesus would do that. I told you all we had to do was get him here. I told you Jesus could do that. Why? Why? Oh, man, this is living. This is really living. Look at our friend. He's wild, going to walk with us and now enjoy life with us on his own. We won't have to carry him anymore. He won't have to live on that mat. Jesus said, I've come that they might have life and have it better than we can ever imagine. Guess they pulled up the old mat back up through the hole in the roof. Mark closes the story by saying this. All the people said, all the people said, we have never seen anything like this. Shut the Pharisees down. Ah, that's my wish for your generation. That the church that the community, that the world looks at Seventh-day Adventist young people and says, we have never seen anything like this. Look how they love one another. I've got some friends in Orlando, group of young adults. They just banded together. They're feeding homeless. They're giving away clothes. 
somebody came up with the idea that now we see these people once, sometimes twice a month. They don't have opportunity to get showers or everything. They raised some money. Somebody gave them money. They have a brand new shower trailer. Well, that's great. We got a shower trailer, but now we got to have water. Where are we going to go? Where are we going to put this water? They went to the city of Orlando. Said, hey, can you guys help us? You've helped us with the homeless problem. You know, we're down there. We're trying to to do a good ministry to our homeless people. And they said, yeah, well, we appreciate that you're feeding and clothing. He says, well, guess what, city? We now have a shower trailer. He says, but we don't have water. Can you help us with water? And they said, well, we'll think about that. Let us see what we can do. They went back, had their city council meeting. City called them back, says, hey, kids, come up back in. We got something for you. He said, first, we appreciate that you have a shower trailer and that you want to help our homeless people get clean. Opportunity to shower and be fresh. That's pretty, pretty neat. So, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to give you hookups. All the materials, all the connectors, all the hoses to connect to city water. Okay, we've got places down at the park where you guys go. We're going to let you connect to the city water. And the kids said, oh, well, that is really incredible. Thank you so much. How much will it cost us? Well, he said, not, the city said, oh, that's a good thing. We'll take care of the cost. Okay? So there's no cost to you. If you're going to provide this ministry, we're going to support you. The city of Orlando allows free water to, to the kids. They're getting starting, I think, the end of this month or the first of next month. Be their first run. But the city doing what? Saying, man, you kids are doing something. We really appreciate that. Thanks for what you're doing. Here's how we can help. Oh, the kids came back and said, oh, Pastor Ken, this is, this is so cool. It's beyond our imagination. I said, that's what Jesus came to do, to give you life, to let you experience life more abundantly. Folks, don't be bored. Don't let boring Christians influence you. If there's no life, I don't think they know Jesus. Know Jesus. To have him live in your heart means you're going to experience life in ways that you can't even begin to imagine. I don't know what that's going to look like for you. I don't know what it's going to look like for me. I'm probably going to keep doing some crazy stuff. But it's fun. Oh, we've never seen 